Hello and welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we take two soundtracks, compare them across five rounds and declare an overall winner. talk about two films that are quite prominent in the LGBT community. Um, one is Brokeback Mountain and then Carol. What's interesting about these two films is that one is focused on a queer relationship and affair between two males, whereas Carol is obviously a focus on two females and their relationship and how they bond and their love becomes quite complicated and you know things happen because of the times that is set in as well yeah I think I'm really excited to talk about it um primarily because we have an amazing guest with us um Mahatma Kandi which is a drag queen extraordinaire hello there honey hi <laughs> um also my amazing co-host Tristan Kane oh <laughs> so is there anything else you guys wanted to add no i think it's um two great movies to discuss they have beautiful music an incredible score and they're very important to the queer community so um great choice that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> and i'm glad to be part of this Oh, well, we're glad that you're a part of it as well. And to give your, in it's very great to be able to have you on board to give your insights. Um, so just to kind of go through what rounds we're going to be discussing, um, as well as a little spoiler alert. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. We always have to throw in a spoiler alert because this yeah. film, particularly Brokeback Mountain, has a it's really sad i mean it's, it's so sad so <laughs> sad anyway so the rounds are round one opening music round two love making round three loss and reflection round four contemporary songs round five legacy so, so let's talk about briefly about what we actually thought about the films when we first saw them. Um, so I'm going to give it first to our guest, Mahatma. What did you think? Hello. Um, first of all, spoiler alert, Brokeback Mountain is extremely sad. Um, for preparing for this podcast, I rewatched the movie and I just realized, I was like, this is really sad and also because i've seen it the more i was watching it the more i was like i know it's gonna happen i know it i know i'll miss you jake i love you jake <laughs> but um um so that was it was it was it was beautifully depicted story but it was one of those things where um you the toxic masculinity that cowboys face in america is what was more harrowing than the love story at some point. It was more the fact that, you know, it's such a beautiful love story between these two boys, but really how society and the media treats people 
back in the day and still now um, on how men are supposed to be is what affected Heath Ledger's character in the movie the most. Mm. So that's really what I was watching and, and to see that also in, in different eyes and um, a different spirit to how, you know, when I first watched it, I was like, ooh, how naughty these two guys having sex as cowboys. But now I'm just, I watched it in a, with different eyes and it was like, it's it's such a horrible scene. And then Carol, Carol, did, I know this could sound extremely gay, but like, I just, I, I loved the fashion and it was such a beautiful time for fashion. So it was, I was, the beauty of that and also the subtlety in the acting and then I was watching all these like reviews about the movie and how um, there's this amazing like a YouTube video of this guy who like broke down the movie and it's incredible if anyone wants to watch it. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, we'll um, keep, we can include it in our show notes. At yeah, the end. definitely. Um, he literally broke down the movie in a very beautiful way. He was saying things like the dominance in like the costume. So like every time um, Carol and what's what's the name of the Therese. Therese, yes. Every time Therese and Carol are like together and everything's fine. Um, they're wearing red or green. And um, every time something affects their relationship, it's because it's a man in something brown. Oh. It's really like cool if you watch the movie and then you. you there's a lot like, of like symbolism yeah, behind Yeah, there's a lot of symbolism and also like there's a lot of like. Um, how people look at each other and that was the main thing in carol it was like all about the look they they didn't have to say much to each other and like that movie to me carol is one of those things where it's very artistically put like how everything was stylized and broke by mountain on a different note is more about it's not even about the relationship in a way it's really about like life as a cowboy and how that affects men mm-hmm. because like how to fit in that society exactly completely mm-hmm. so um i rambled on i'm so sorry <laughs> no that was brilliant <laughs> i loved it um tristan and these are two extraordinary uh films in their own right i think as someone who grew up in alpine high country out in the country brokeback mountain definitely resonated with me a lot more if only because of the the setting, the landscape, the attitudes, a lot of that felt very familiar to me. So I could definitely sort of really get the characters, as it were. Carol, much less so. Carol is an entirely foreign foreign world to me. I 100% get what you're saying, though, Mahatma. The, the visual storytelling of Carol is extraordinary. I always like films that use colour in those sorts of ways, in, in ways that, like, it's not in your face. It's not obvious. Somebody probably has to explain to you the use of the red and the green and the brown. But once you see it, it's there and it's, it's been contributing to your subconscious the whole time. But yeah, I, I, genu- I really like the films. They're, they're both quite powerful. And the, both of the scores are, are fantastic. I mean, they were both Oscar nominated, both phenomenal scores. What did you think, Ella? To be truly honest, so when I first watched Brokeback Mountain, like you, Mahatma, like 10 years earlier when it first came out, there were times where I found it a little bit boring, I think because it is a slow burner, not necessarily because of the storyline. <laughs> He's laughing at me. It just speaks to your character that you wouldn't watch a romantic movie. <laughs> but overall, a beautifully shot film. Um, stunning. Really, yeah, absolutely stunning. I mean, to be able to see it 
oh, I wish I had seen it in the cinema in the, in the big screen to see that sort of landscape gorgeous. and the vastness and just the spatial. You could almost almost smell the mountain air. It would have been amazing. The masculine uh, musk. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, with Carol, I, I actually saw it in the cinema with my mother and I, I really, I thought it was a beautiful film. I thought, I thought it was a beautiful story, you know, between two women and the scenes, I thought it was very tragic as well. It was just really sad, just the relationship between how, you know, you have Carol trying to really hard to fight to keep her daughter with her because she knows that she can be a, an amazing mother. And just because she has a different sexual orientation, she doesn't want to be with her husband that is used against her to say to dictate that she's not going to be a fit mother and like afterwards like my mother and I we had an interesting conversation um because she is still from a very um old school background and conditioned in this sort of very patriarchal way that you know queer is not good it's unhealthy and it's just therefore not the right environment to raise children but I argued to her that you know if a child is brought up in the world but is not loved by a parent a heterosexual parent or parents then nobody considers that as unhealthy or an unsafe environment and nobody would necessarily question the repercussions for the child's development being in a loveless family unit as long as they have a mother and a father figure which is what most traditional views that are conditioned you know, from previous generations still think that that is enough for a child in some ways. And that's how it should always be, uh, regardless of there's love in there, because um, there's a sort of a duty mentality always. But at the end of the day, unconditional love is all that matters at, at, at the end of the day. And, you know, I just was just like, just giving her an example, like here's somebody who wants to be with their child. And then there's examples of people who don't want a child. Which one do you, it's, sexual orientation should never come into play what did she say mm. she kept her mouth shut because she <laughs> what, what could she say she kept her mouth shut because that's how she should <laughs> no but what could she say she was just like well yeah I mean because there's so yeah uh, that that storyline and that context mm. really got me I think because I really felt for her mm. you know even though I'm not a mother she, whatever or anything like that but <laughs> But, um, yeah, so I think that exploration into, I think, hopefully kind of would help educate people and understand that at the end of the day, it's, if somebody wants to be, it, what matters most is, you know, within families is that the fact that the parent wants to be a part of their child's life, regardless of where they come from, what their background is, what their sexual orientation, you know, they can be transgender, they can be, it can be, doesn't matter, whatever. The end, the end of the day is that they want to love. Give love, yeah. Give love, you know. Absolutely. On that note, shall we move on to talking about some music? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so round one, opening. Shall we talk about Brokeback Mountain first because it's the first one that came out? Um, yeah, go for it. So, I mean, the hilarious thing about both of these albums is that their opening tracks are called Opening. So here is Opening from Brokeback Mountain.
Who would like to go first? I'm happy to start. I mean, I, my, my notes are basically, you know, it's, uh, it's very sparse. It's very airy, breath around it. You know, you can feel the vastness and space of the music and the location it's set. It's really? simple. Yeah, it's spacious. It's because of the vi- the reverb. Um, it's the subtlety and it's the use of the instruments. You know, the, the I think it's the steel string acoustic that's being played. But like, I could almost, for me, you can almost hear the mountains in between the silences, you mm. know, um, mm. between the notes as it gets as it's played and uh, obviously there's two guitars uh or maybe there's one but it feels like there's some sort of like a dialogue going on between them there's like a call and response for me as though like one is calling for the other um while you you know when you're up in the mountains and someone says hello and you go hello yeah <laughs> like um, an echo no it's not like an echo yeah it's kind of <laughs> like an echo but it's more so when you call out and you're waiting for the other person to respond okay <laughs> not, not an echo. <laughs> I was trying to be a little bit more into time with the romance between the guys. Um, but yeah, you j- I just feel you get really transported. I think it was unusual. When I first heard it, I, it did throw me back a little bit because it was just, it just comes out of nowhere. Was it like throwback mountain? Nice <laughs> oh. <laughs> one. Oh, please bring that. Please bring that, Mahatma. That is, that is what oh, we yes. need. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I, it was an unusual opening, but in a good way. I felt like it made me... It kind of pierced through the scene. And it made me kind of really pay attention to the action of like um, Heath's character walking out of the truck and then making his way to the office whatever you want to call it you know like his day-to-day yeah so i kind of i already knew i got the idea okay so this is going to be set in a sort of a cowboy type environment you know it's kind of like americana type vibe Mm. you know Mm. so i it, it i got it in that in that sense what about you tristan i kind of agree with a small part of what you said but disagree with the entire rest of it oh okay so the the part that i agree with is there's definitely you can definitely get that sense of the mountain with the reverb and the, the the space to a certain extent from the reverb but to me actually i would say that as a track it feels very tight and delicate and intimate like it feels very personal and self-contained rather than feeling like you're in a wide open space so you felt like it sounded lonely yes oh my god that's one of my notes really no i just want to say i have a note and it says lonely (laughs) but you'll continue and then i'll say my piece (laughs) (laughs) so i yeah i feel like it really gives you that sense of being alone with the mountain for me, actually, the music, you, know, you say that it sort of it took you by surprise a little bit. This was exactly the sort of music I heard when I first saw the poster of this film. This was exactly what I expected in that it is that country sound, that sort of, well, not even country, that, that sort of Western film is in the Westerns kind of sound, but really tight and intimate and slightly romantic 
rather than the other mode which you get far more often in westerns which is the big copeland like sprawling thing to me that is what gives you that sense of space the huge open chords the lush strings that that gives you the sense of like the land to the horizon you know a thousand yard stairs whereas this because it's just those two little guitars with their echoes against the silence it, it feels like yeah it's just you your fire the mountain and 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 that's it which is perfect for mine it, it really immediately just boom put me right there so what did you not agree with i i disagreed with your sense that it creates uh, that sense of spa of of size i i think it, it's very tight and small i think it's just your your close your close world okay and i wasn't surprised by it at all <laughs> so what about you mahatma what did you think i actually see both of your sides and weirdly enough even though you may think they're like separate if there's a familiarity together because there is a vastness to how it sounds if you looked at the landscape but if you look at the the intimacy of the melody then yeah it does feel very small so like there's because i think when you're listening to the track it's like you know it's very like it, it takes a while it's not it's not a it's not a fast track basically um so in that case i agree with ally that it's got this vastness to it um which i think lends to the visuals but if you had to hear it in a way because i remember listening to it in bed by myself um because i'm single anyone if you know i'll give me a call um but um <laughs> if um if you hear it almost like by yourself you know there is this like intimacy to, to it and there there's a loneliness and to me as well what i liked about it was even though it felt lonely as a track it like as an emotion not necessarily as like um you know as a feeling there was something familiar about it almost like you know like you know what's about to happen or like you know like mm -hmm. i've i've been through this journey before or something um but it definitely sets the scene up for for the movie it's like it's a western about you know love you know you know it gives you without even having to really see the visuals you know exactly where you are getting transported yeah. to um so i thought it was really beautiful it's really it's really like really lovely you know a little bit of music great and then so let's move on to carol which is also named opening <laughs> <laughs>
gonna go I'm gonna let you go first, ma'am. <laughs> okay. So yeah, with Carol when I first heard it, my first instinct was um you know you know, when you watch it in the movie you don't really like you don't really care, but you don't really notice it as much. Um and then when you listen to it by itself, you kinda like start to break it down a bit. To me, I felt like the it was a little busy. Like there was a lot going on in the track and I mean, you know, when you're comparing it to the Brookman Mountain track, you know, that there's a there's, there's definitely a difference. Um, I don't know if it's setting up for something. I don't know if it's like trying to inform, you know, the, the listener in a certain way. But for me, it was it felt like there was a lot going on. There was different tones in musicality. There was different instruments, you know, popping out of nowhere. Um, so personally, I was kind of, Oh, a tad distracted in a way of the way that it was trying to set the scene so at first I was kind of like all right there's a lot going on melodically it was very funny because there was some beautiful intonations in between but as a full piece of music I, I just felt it was full it was a bit you felt overwhelmed by yeah, it. a little bit I and um I I mean I think the more you hear the rest of the soundtrack, the more it becomes a bit more apparent. But to begin with, I thought it was a bit off-putting, especially when you're trying to like break it down. Hmm. Uh, if if I heard it in the movie, you know, it, it would just it would skip my brain. It would like inform me in a different way because of the visuals. But um, listening to it um, as it's as it's own as a track, I thought it was just busy. Mm. No, I totally agree. It's weird. For me, it reminded me, it was very, it's a very contemporary piece of music considering it's set in the 1950s, which I know with Tristan, it's one of his pet peeves sometimes, whereby if it's set in a certain time period, then the music should reflect it in some ways, or at least the instruments need to be used. Um, it, It really reminded me of Philip Glass particularly like the hour uh, soundtrack it has a very similar tone um when i first i'm gonna uh, yeah? i'm just gonna pa- i'm just gonna pause you right there you're right that it should remind you of philip glass the reason why is because of well, i know we've started the show already with two tracks uh called opening yeah i'm going to play for you right now a third track called opening by philip glass It's a f***ing rip-off. <laughs> I mean, no wonder I was just kind of like, huh? Um, yeah. I mean, I yeah. think it's, weirdly enough, I much prefer listening to that than, yeah, than the yeah. Carol one. Do you agree? Yeah. There's something that's, because I think Philip Glass does minimalism because that's what he's very well known right. for. He does it right. Mm. There's something he, there's an element of, sp- he knows how to kind of space the melodies and even though you, there's a repeat repetition um, with the instrumentation, but there's breaths in there. Mm. Like there's moments mm. that you can kind of flow with. I can get caught up into the music. But also Carol had like literally like, I don't know how many, how many instruments in that first bit. 
Yeah. And I, because it was going for that minimalist sort of somber approach as well, I guess I can kind of go talk about more how the wind, w- the woodwind is meant to represent the women and them kind of interacting with each other. But oh my fucking God, I have to say the fucking harps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate the harp. That Apregio harp line, I swear she would have just been taken out because it just made it so much more corny. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, it was not needed. There's some, like, I think it would have worked better if maybe it was a different melodic line as opposed to just going to do, 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 or whatever it was. Something yeah. along those lines. It yeah, was yeah. just, it was unnecessary. Really was not needed to be there. That was one thing that really stood out for me. Um, there are moments in that track that I really did like, like when it goes to like one minute th- 34 in the actual track, when you listen to it on its own, there is a sort of a longing love element to it. Mm. I guess like, the, did you feel that the music made you excited? Did, did it exude a sort of an anticipation? Or did it just kind of like do nothing for you? No. <laughs> interesting wow interesting because that's what the composer was trying to do really i i think it does oh oh i can i totally respect anyone who didn't feel it because i can totally get it i think what it's trying to indicate is that that sense of of butterflies of that sort of mm. anxious turmoil you have uh, i i feel like it it creates it a bit but yeah it, it, but it's, I guess it's more of a, I can see where they're going with that rather than I really felt it. So I guess maybe I don't disagree with you so much. I almost feel like maybe if it was stripped back, as Mahatma said, because it was so overwhelming all the different instrumentation, I think if it kind of was, if it just had maybe two instruments, either mm. the piano and woodwind or strings and woodwind, it would have worked better, I think to me I'd... yeah the problem though is it's a temp love situation so we had to change it enough for it not to be the same piece mm. but what's interesting is that obviously this is the main theme for the whole film yeah as well which in other parts of the film i think it works really great mm, um, definitely but just for this as an opening to kind of introduce the setting and what the film is about i didn't really get it as much i mean i just kind of, i appreciated it but i I don't know, all I kept thinking about, like, this reminds me too much of Philip Glass. I kept thinking of Philip Glass. I don't know why. So it... Oh, right. I, I, I could tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> but then doesn't that show that's just very poor writing? It's like, if you're given a temp music by the director to say, can you make it sound a little bit like this? And you if you almost kind of rip it off, then it's just like, you, you as a composer haven't really done what you're supposed to have done, which is... It's true. To be fair to Carter, that's often not the composer's fault. Usually the composer is the one trying to push to go as far away from the temp as possible. And it tends to be, it tends to be a director who keeps dragging them back who just won't accept it until it sounds almost the same. So you're trying to do as much as you can. Who's the director? So, I, uh, Todd Haynes. Well, Todd Haynes, you're a d- <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, the titan of queer cinema. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, that, I think that's just because the person who suffers most is not the director, it's the composer. Because in the, uh, us having this discussion whereby, oh, like the composer has pretty much plagiarized another composer, you know, when in actual fact it was kind of beyond <laughs> their control. <coughs> Do you know what I mean? So I think in that, that's why I kind of reacted that way, just to kind of highlight, well, 
you know, if we ever have, if anybody else ever has a similar thought as I did previously, think about consider that it could have been a direct. Consider it could have been outside sources or forces. Yeah, and it almost always is. The composer always wants to be able to do their own thing. Yeah, I mean, there there must be ways for the composer to still have some sort of. I mean, I I, I personally think after what we just discussed, I mean. Yeah, the harp could have been taken out. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, they, there's elements that the composer could have done differently, t- differently to still get to what they wanted and what the director wanted. Mm, yeah, so, so it's, there should have been a better compromise, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting though because actually the thing that you uh, didn't like about the track primarily, Mahatma, was that fidgety energy that you felt that that energy was wrong, and that was the part that the director was probably trying to force in because that's the glass part. Because oh. I would. I would describe this as kind of it starts with that fidgety en- energy, and then whereas in glass that that, that 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 stuff all stays front and center the entire track, right? But in Carol, it that drops back into the background while the actual main theme comes over the top. Now, I personally actually quite like the main theme, as you sort of hinted there, Ella. The, you know, the fact you've got the two different woodwinds and they sort of they intertwine. They almost have they, a conversation between themselves. I really love that, and the theme is beautiful when it gets to be front and center which is different from from the glass but yeah every time it drops back to the glass and the glass comes into focus it yeah it feels wrong and it feels done so i feel to a certain extent i want to feel the best for carter burwell here and i feel like everything he added was actually good but he was working with a temp that didn't fit Mm. well then let's make our decision who is the winner of this round mahatma um I'm going to give it to Throwback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well played. I think I'm going to go have to agree with you and go with Throwback Mountain as well. <laughs> Tristan, is it going to be a third? I never really liked Philip Glass that much. Like, he's listenable, but yeah, it's not really my, my cup of tea. <laughs> so, yes, that would, be, that would be three votes for Brokeback Mountain. Okay, great. Woohoo! <laughs> We're not biased <laughs> at all. Oh, no. <laughs> right, so moving on to lovemaking. Ooh, lovemaking. <laughs> okay, so. Is this the first time we have discussed music for a sex scene on this show? Yes. Ooh. Alrighty, so let's, let's kick it off with Horse Love by Gustavo Santiolala.
So the scene, so this track, we kind of have to say, you kind of have to skip forward a little bit because this particular track kind of um, underscores a few scenes from Ennis ride, when he rides off from the camp and finds a dead sheep and then uh, later on joins Jack overlooking the meadow. And then I think halfway through, it's where they have the passionate scene in the tent at night at the camp. Mm. And which is what we're talking about. So this We should also mention this isn't on the main album. It's, it's on not. like an extended I had to dig and find album. it. You know, it was, I don't understand because a beautiful piece of music. There's a lot of really good piece of music um outside of the original soundtrack that got released that wasn't included. And I just don't understand again why why do you do this? Why? Who picks these? Yeah. I think there might be some bits of this hidden in some of the tracks on the actual album, but yeah, not in a, in the full form. So yeah, good luck and happy hunting to anyone who wants to listen to it because it's a beautiful piece of music. Sorry, go on. So for me, my first impressions were it's very tender. You know, the way the guitar kind of strums in as though the hand is caressing his face. You know, there is a sort of a gentle romance to it. Um, and I like how the guitar kind of plays on that hesitation at the beginning by spacing out the chords, you know, just following... Ennis's um, mm. sort of movements and like you can see that he wants to and there's something he's holding withholding himself and um, and then after when they embrace and cuddle the music then becomes much more steady and continuous and a little bit more embellished or colorful uh, it has mm. more colorful variations and there is a sense of release at the end of it as well with the scene as they get on with it basically um in comparison to the first scene when they do it you know i think it's a nice um opposition or contrast to the beginning beautiful mahatma i was gonna give it to you first tristan actually (laughs) oh okay (laughs) i don't have a whole lot to add uh what, what i find interesting about it is that obviously these scenes would be quite confronting to some people and they would be very heartwarming to other people, depending on how you came to the film, as it were. Uh, What I like is that the music itself just plays it very, very, for want of a better term, straight. Like, this is (laughs) basically normal love scene music. Mm. You've got your major key, you've got your solo instruments, you've got the very light instrumentation. This is exactly the same sort of type, trope of music that you would get for any, like, coming of age, losing your virginity type love scene in any other movie just with the country western aspect to make it fit this particular world. And I like that it, it just plays on that very simple expected sound so that it just communicates very clearly this is a beautiful moment and then it leaves you the audience to make up your own mind as to what you you do with the fact that that is being used in a scene between two men that's really all i have to say and and one word i'd probably add is that it's a very it's when you say that it's quite straight sounding almost it's non-judgmental it is what it is you know it's a romantic moment between two people there you go you know mm. Mahatma hello everyone um yeah no definitely I agree with both um your argument like not arguments what we were saying there's there's something about the way 
the music sounds where it's like you know what's going on like you know like you you've heard this before and it's the same um theme linking the entire movie and also not to be negative but it's almost like quite a safe piece of music to go with the scene you know it's nothing yeah predominantly um ornate out there yeah exactly you know which you know lends to the whole idea that you know do you um, mean it was, or to you it almost sounded like expected music no not expected but more in the sense of like you could put you could put that with any lovemaking scene and it'll be fair yeah. did you oh. find it passionate the music no more romantic than passionate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's it's not passionate. It doesn't have the energy yeah. to be passionate. Okay, so then uh, moving on to Carol, and this track is called Lovers. For me, it's, well, I think this is where the theme works best, mm. but the f***ing pops. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, just a half, it just pissed me off so much. They just, yeah, if they, if you, they were removed, 
It would have been perfect. Um, they really stick out in the mix too, don't they? They like they just pop right. And off it's the, like they're panned. The they're panned to the left, or and then they're going on to the right. I'm just like, get out of my ear. <laughs> so I mean, where the emotions are communicated by the instruments, I think works well. Um, I felt like there was a real journey of the sexual act, you know, from the beginnings of the foreplay, the various touches and the rhythms and the climaxes. I really felt there was. The music kind of communicated that for me. Um, Can you see the scene listening to the music off, like external to the movie? Uh, let's just say that I found it so much more passionate that it would probably have. I would probably have this playing if I was making love. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe not. I I have a track list of songs that would work better than this. Yeah, that should be an entire podcast <laughs> by itself. No, but you know there is actually a TV show. I think Edith Bowman. She did an episode of like music to have sex to, like the best music to have best music tracks to have sex to. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, is Thong Song one of them? No, (laughs) no. Marvin Gaye pretty much tops it with like "Let's Get It On." Oh God, no! (laughs) It doesn't do it for you. We we are doing this show. Just move on. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we can bring you back for that one, Mahatma. I think I think we'll all have a good time. Um. So yeah, because as I said, so the theme flourishes for me because there are certain changes in melody and the notes that carry the emotion. You know, there's a build of intensity and gentleness as well. Yeah, I, for me, I, I felt like this, is, this was a beautiful moment where there was a beautiful piece of music that really kind of carried me and in, I felt involved as a listener. All right. <laughs> no, I had to say that as a, as a listener, okay? <laughs> um, anybody else? Yeah, no, definitely. That's kind of like I felt, not I didn't feel bad, but how I called the music busy earlier. And at this point, that that recurring theme coming back made sense to me. And it was, and it, it, it informed the scene better. Um, it was beautiful. At, at this point, there was beauty in the layering and it felt more epic comparatively to Brookbound Mountain. I mean, obviously we can't really compare, you know, the scenes as well because they're completely different, you know. But this is why I asked which one is more, like, if you found the music passionate because... But it's different. This is, this, this is the thing. There's different energies yeah, and there's, intensity. There's an intensity in the carol scene that's different to the Brooklyn Mountain scene. Because mm. Brooklyn Mountain, to me, is very more romantic. It's, And I think... I think... It was Ang Lee, wasn't it? It was... Ang Lee is the director. Mm-hmm. I think he was trying to combat that whole, um, you know, salaciousness that was going to come from uh, two men having sex. Because obviously two men having sex is going to be a lot more ferocious than two women having sex, let's be honest. So it's like the the difference between the two specifically would be more about the fact that Carol would be a more passionate yet intimate moment. But what we're trying to see on the screen with Brooklyn Mountain is is a more romantic, intimate moment mm. because it's something that you don't want it be tarnished by something more vul- more vulgar, basically. Mm-hmm. I think in the carol music, it's like it's almost like the the music's like on a wheel and it's like constantly turning and th- constantly like building and like exciting the audience in a way that's informing the scene in a more beautiful way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's it. Yeah, it just sounds very epic, which I which I I liked. 
Interesting. So I, for me, essentially, this is the same track as the opening one, except that it's stripped out quite a bit of that glassy, fidgety nervousness. Except for the harp. And it'll, except for the harp. <laughs> uh, but then it allows, but, and it allows the theme to take over a lot more. It's interesting to me that you describe it as epic because actually one of my notes here is that like when you take glass and strip it back as much as I have in this, it almost starts to remind me of a Hans Zimmer track now because they've taken away the really minimalist bits of glass, the, 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 the that stuff, and now it's just that rotating chord progression, which all of a sudden starts to make it a bit Inception. And I think that might be actually where you're getting that epic sound from. And it's true. It does. It gives it that, as, as you say, it's like a wheel. It's, it's, it's rolling forward. It's building. And what I like about it just as a pure emotional reaction to it is that you can really go and I think you've both really kind of articulated this in your own ways you can really go on that journey with Therese as she sort of starts off and there's there's some nerves and some hesitation to start with but then you can kind of feel as she is ready to let go as well well she relaxes into the Mm. moment yeah she relaxes into the moment and then the theme is able to sort of well up out of it and the the theme notably where all of this stuff has always been in woodwinds until now until now suddenly comes out in a violin Mm -hmm. and to me that just makes it so much stronger and more passionate um that sudden change of tone and timbre and so i i think it's it's very effective it does create a sense of two people coming together um there's also notably different from the original track is whereas as i was saying the original track you had the the themes are all was always either call and response. It was two instruments playing it um, at the like the same notes at the same time as a sort of confluence. Here we get what is probably more traditional in love theme writing, which is you've got counter melodies, so two different melodies playing off each other, and that always makes moments sound that much more romantic because you just have this sense of there's two personalities here bonding. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's very effective. I think this starts to make that Philip Glass sound make more sense. I think he manages to incorporate it much better here. Mm, I agree. So in terms of our winners... I'm going to say Carol. Oh, interesting. Mm. I'm going to go Carol as well. Oh. Well, yeah, because I felt... I I felt more in tune and... (laughs) Tristan? I really thought I was going to be on an island picking Carol here, but apparently I'm just following the trend. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so uh, a win for Carol. Okay, so moving on to round three, loss and reflection. So the track we're going to be listening to for Brokeback Mountain is, I think it's another one from the extended uh, album list. And the track is called Closet.
Apologies to anyone for how quiet that was. Apparently this track only existed on the album that was handed out to people judging the soundtrack for awards, so we've had to actually borrow the soundtrack from the movie itself. Fortunately, he's not doing much other than shuffle around, but just so you know, that's why it was so quiet and hard to hear. So yeah, so this is basically the scene where Ines discovers the two shirts in Jack's closet and uh, at his at Jack's parents' home and basically has a very tender... Heart, well, a breakdown, I guess, like an internalized breakdown um, of realizing that he's lost his probably one and only love. Um, yeah, yeah. So, in terms of the music, like the way the mu- it creeps in, the the guitar that's used, I find it's it was very muted and it sounded very numb and kind of tired in comparison to the original theme that is played at the beginning of the film, which was almost very young, alive and bright. You know, it's, I almost felt like it kind of represented the ages of, you know, the journey of them being at the beginning of the film to where they are at now, who are much more mature and I wouldn't say ancient, but just... Mature is a good word. Mature, yeah, mature is a good word, yeah. Um, but it's just very subtle and it's very heartbreaking in com- you know to the scene so you do get a sense of well you, you can't escape the loss it's yeah, kind of, it's kind yeah. of obvious mm. there um, do you find the music sad? if I listen to it on its own there is melancholy to it mm-hmm. do you disagree? I do oh, oh. <laughs> so dun 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 <laughs> thank you i i find this i find this a it's a very it's a very good scene straight up i i felt this one i've really felt this scene actually i i i welled up a bit won't lie won't lie wow tristan you welling up i know i know really really breaking it up now no for me the music in this scene isn't sadness music it's not the normal like minor key theme kind of thing that you would normally go for sad for mine and this might be controversial it's suspense music this this music is tension this music is uh, like not particularly tonal it's just kind of dark and it never lets itself really embrace any emotion at all it just it shows a sense of tension and turmoil within ennis and it because it if you you kind of know that he's looking through Jack's stuff right but if you didn't if if you just it was shown that scene of a cowboy searching around a, like a, a a wardrobe essentially and you didn't know it was in Brokeback Mountain or whatever right you'd be like what's he going to like what's he going to pull out is he going to pull out like you know a gun or something like th- there's a real sense of of tension and dread in in that moment and hidden really deep underneath all that there's this one and i've described it as almost warm string cord in there which is really subtle but it's just enough to kind of give that sense of 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 longing and love but it's buried in this just this sea of tension mm-hmm. i disagree but okay wow so you don't you don't feel tension I don't feel in this tension, scene. No. Well, now that I've reheard it, it almost sounds like a funeral procession. Oh, excellent! A third a third interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> no, just like just now because I'm you know 
you you listening to it as you know the scene and you listen to it as you see it in a way but when you really hear it outside of the scene it dis- it definitely felt like there's almost like you're at mass and it's like someone's funeral it's which, loss <laughs> yeah which yeah which is loss and and i mean i definitely i definitely feel there are instances of tension to it but i don't know if the tension is you know informed by the sadness that's you know administrated by the by the music you know it's almost like you 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 know how um just tristan saying that there's tension you don't know what's going to happen it's almost like is there tension because of that sadness you know of that like that depression that looming you know sadness but it's really weird like i don't know if i heard a different track but like i there's an instance of it at almost at the end where there's like some sort of optimism which is kind of like the uplifting thing because obviously you know in the scene it's very much like he's sad you know because he you know he's lost his you know love of his life blah 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 um, it's also it's sad because he goes to his parents to ask you know can I take a piece can I take some of um, Jack's ashes and throw it over Brokeback Mountain because like, no. that's yeah exactly yeah. so there's kind of like that resignation yeah and but um, then but then when he sees the shirt I think so he's able to take like, a part there's of him a bit with of him. the music which feels uplifting it feels almost a little optimistic as if to say to like you know he's he has always loved you you know it's like. You know, it that day, that moment is was very important to him. Blah, blah, blah. So I think there's a part of the music somehow buried in there where there's there's a real lift um, hmm. that you know. It's like a reflection. To untrained ears, uh, they couldn't hear it, but I did. <laughs> but I don't know. There's like there's like a mini lift. Um, but yeah, it feels like a procession now that I heard it. But did you feel that there was an element of reflection as well? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's heavy. It's very heavy. Right. So, shall we move on to Carol? And track is called Reflection. comes in twice in the film so the first time we hear it is the scene when carol is forced to spend time with her ex-husband family and she's kind of going through the motions of eating with them and showing that she's mm. in pro she's progressing with her treatment blah blah blah, blah. but all the while all, why she's going through all this is because she's waiting for her daughter because that's the 
her you know she wants to see her daughter you know uh so she's enduring all that because of that um and then the second and then obviously it carries on when therese parts with her boyfriend richard under the bridge and then she's going through her box of photos and finds a photo of carol and she kind of throws it almost rejects it afterwards just kind of put, throws it into the pile of all the other photos and then it used again during a scene at the end of the film where carol try to re- tries to rekindle their romance and professes her love to therese and to, um therese is um, in a taxi going to her friend Phil's party and it's kind of like that reflection and motion of loss you know where there is a I mean you have to kind of think about that Therese has lose, lost two partners you know she's kind of lost the partner of Carol in a more queer environment and then she had she's lost Richard in a more heterosexual environment so it's almost like she's left alone and she has to figure out who she is and what she wants for the rest of the film but yeah I mean that's kind of like I felt there was a lot of subtext with the music that I thought worked very well for me Mahatma? I thought it was really delicate like it was really like touching and delicate There's, there's some even though it was delicate to me it was still vibrant it definitely fed the idea of loss, mm. um, and it was very touching. And I think it makes it, it makes me sound like I'm being quite binary about the whole situation because I'm kind of like calling it, in essence, like effeminate or something. You know, like very like sweet and just like not robust, which I think you kind of get from the Brookbend Mountain track, which is a little bit more like hard, hard. It's it's a lot. Uh, this is a lot softer hmm. than you would normally think maybe more emotional yeah yeah um well no i wouldn't say more emotional because i think the other track is just as emotional but it's different this is just a bit more softer comparatively to the brooklyn Man track and i think it also lends to what you said about the fact that there's like a it's almost like a mature loss it's like um it's a loss where it's like i get it you know it's fine you know, like, I understand why I'm losing this. I understand why this has to happen. Um, so it's not as like, what's it called? Abrupt or like... Yeah, it's, it does, it's not as heavy. It's not as heavy. It, it doesn't have much weight, you know, because it's, it's, it's a loss that you kind of like. But the fact that you just said that it's a theme, it's not even a theme, sorry. It's, a, it's been used in three other scenes. That's what worries me now because it's kind of like, if this is going to be... A piece of music that you hear again in the in the movie, wouldn't it be better to be placed in a way that it has a recurring aspect to the film? But I don't think it does because the f- if it's used in the first part where you're saying where it's basically focused on Carol, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's focused on Carol and focused on Carol kind of wanting to be with her daughter mm-hmm. so therefore she sacrificed her love with Therese in order to be with her daughter and then Therese basically um, sacrificed and says goodbye to Richard you know because yeah. he's had enough well, it, then it shows it's, it's more of a recurring theme with the sacrifice than it is about mm. loss mm. which then changes my you know thoughts about the track in essence because to me that's 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 beautiful but it doesn't lend to the same Wait, that broke back does. 
Tristan? I, I love all that. I, I, I actually really love the fact that you, you actually feel that there is a, a bit of a gender difference between the, the two tracks because the, the, the two films and their, their music styles, particularly given that, I mean, obviously Cowboys is such a manly man kind of a thing and there is a touch of that just inherent trope in, in, in the track and then there is just a lot more gentle, intimate, emotionally mature side to, to Carol. I, I really like that. Uh, the the main thing I've got to add, and it's 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 a cheap shot, but like, I I have no problem with using temp tracks in scores. I actually personally, when I'm sitting down to start working on a film, I I temp track myself. I like the idea of going back, getting some great pieces of music, throwing them down, and just you know seeing what sticks, what might work, what sort of moods. Because you know sometimes just throwing music down allows you to to see moments in a scene that you wouldn't have sort of seen otherwise, and it allows you to experiment with very different sounds without having to actually go to the work of, of writing the music. But if you are going to use temp music, I would generally try and avoid using Opening by Philip Glass, and I would particularly always try and avoid using the Moonlight f***ing Sonata by Beethoven. <laughs> Tristan, you said <laughs> Yeah, whoa, whoa that's the anger. It's, okay. so, it's so blatant. It, this is the Moonlight Sonata, but just made slightly more minimalist. And ah. it, it sticks it. Oh. Do, 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 you need, do you need me to show you the example? I mean... Oh my god, it is. <laughs> Carter, Whoa. Carter, what's Whoa. going on? Like, dude, yeah, fix up. Maybe that's why he's not so, getting awards. <laughs> yeah, well, you said it. it. <laughs> I mean, precisely. Like, this was nominated. He, he had a full-on Oscar nomination, and as much as I would like the idea of him getting a, an award, if I was voting, I'd have been like, yeah, no, I'm voting for Temp. Like, Beethoven is cool, mm-hmm. but no. Well, thank you for pointing that out. I didn't even clock on. It, it just it just clicked. It went straight through. And I think it was moments like those that really made me unable to really emotionally connect with a lot of the moments in this film. Because, yeah, I was just like, oh, okay, that's Moonlight Sonata. Yeah, it's, it's sad. It's minor key, standard, sad film kind of a template, but it's still Moonlight Sonata with just a minimalist heavy echoing atmosphere to it it's a pass from me okay so i take it it'll be it's throwback mountain for you well i'm, I'm gonna call it throwback carol if they're quoting <laughs> like 18th century <laughs> Oscar throwback poses. Carol. that's good okay yeah hammer? oh broke back i mean th- i mean that beethoven reference just solidified it i know right me but, too i, I wasn't i, I like was like the coffin. <laughs> I, know. I was all ready to go for carol because like yeah. it really touched me oh no no i was <clears throat> i was still gonna be broke back because i just thought it was more delicate it was much more sim- subtle what broke back subtle but effective i mean no i thought it was harder i thought broke back was a lot more like heavier and like i just thought i liked it better the Carol track to me, when you compare it 
to broke back and you're talking about loss i think it was a little wishy-washy but in broke back what was very much like yeah someone's dead it's a statement mm. he's dead yeah <laughs> like you know like all right yeah. like broke back i mean i bawled like a baby whenever we watched that i was crying like a bitch <laughs> waterfalls everywhere tlc yeah i'm gonna go with broke back mountain good thank you london good night <laughs> Round four, contemporary song. So for Brokeback Mountain, we're going to be listening to a track by Rufus Wainwright called The Maker Makes. track is not necessarily featured in the film it is featured in the soundtrack but i think the reason why i picked this song i guess is because the lyrics is pretty much kind of it kind of does the job of explaining you know this kind of forbidden element of forbidden love and just wanting to reach out to somebody and just like you know wanting to get be with them at whatever costs i guess I love Rufus Wainwright. I just, I love his tone of voice. In general, like, do you listen to his other work or? I've listened to his other works, so I am familiar. Um, he has a real sign- signature style to him um, in terms of his writing and the way he sings and stuff. And it's, it's a very melancholic, very sort of longing style that he has which i think just fits perfectly for this sort of music is he usually a country singer i'm sorry i'm completely ignorant about rivers Wainwright. he's kind of more bad because he uh opera i think not like a modern opera <laughs> yeah because uh, that's where his background is kind of is like he's his music is very operatic in a very contemporary 
alternative way you know okay. and there's this lot of sort of jazzy bluesy sort of quality to him yeah i was gonna say it was more of a blues um it's a bit folky yeah more folky than country yeah uh-huh. yeah sure. his genre is baroque pop operatic pop indie pop rock yeah that's wow. this, okay i'm going to check this guy oh, out this is, Wikipedia says. <laughs> Just double check. But yeah, so I, I do, I like, he has a sort of a real nice, um, beautiful heaviness to it. I loved it. I thought, I thought the song was literally the movie. And the movie was a song. The song was the movie. The movie was a song. Mm. So I thought it was perfect. So I, I don't, I don't have any other words except for I loved it. Keep it short and simple. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to the chase. Now, Tristan, enlighten us. What did you think? It's not really much to enlighten. It's it's harsh because we all like this piece of music, but there is actually so little to say, I think. But I think that's exactly it of... It does manage to encapsulate the mood and the tone of the movie, both in its, like, just the general musical country ballad sound, but also the the lyrics, which are all about being kept away from your lover by forced out of control. I mean, is, is it is it wrong to say that I, I feel like this is, is potentially playing in the in the truck of every, like, queer, confused cowboy trying to trying to work out their sh- I mean, that it just it just feels like that's what it is. That that you can just put it on, and in one track, you can just just sit in that emotional space for for well, it's about five minutes long, right? You can, you can just you can just sit in it and and try and work your way through it. I, I think that's it. It you don't have to necessarily watch the whole movie again because you know waterworks difficult, but you can just you can just sit in that in that track and and Be work some stuff and, out. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of. Uh, we, we've talked about before how, particularly through the '90s and stuff, you know, the um, the the music video to go with the movie was such a big thing. So every major film had a had a particular pop song by a, an artist or whatever that was meant to, you know, kind of be the the trailer pretty much for the film. But I have never ever seen one where the track basically just sums up the whole movie so beautifully and perfectly. Mm. It's it's something else. Great. So then let's move on to Carol. And we've gone with No Other Love by Joe Stafford.
So this song is basically, it's played in, within the film uh, as a, it's a diegetic sound, isn't it? When it's part yep. of the scene, like when you're listening to radio or there's a gap band uh, performing in the scenes. So it's played at the end of the film at the Phil's party and she sees couples and it basically, it's something, it, I guess it triggers her to kind of reconsider Carol's proposal of, you know, let's get together and you mm. can move in with me and we can live happily ever after. What did you think, Tristan? It's a, it's a good song. It's a good song. It's actually it's a song contemporary to the period, so it's it's very diegetic. It's a it's a song that they gen- could have listened to at the time. I think there's there's a couple of things that are very cool about it. It's it's actually a song that I would encourage people go and have a have a glance at the Wikipedia page for this song because it is there's some there's some interesting stuff there. In particular, the fact that it is based on Chopin's Etude uh, Opus Number Ten Number Three which is a, just a particular like, piece of music by Chopin. It's the melody that Chopin himself actually felt was the most beautiful he ever wrote. And it has a very proud history of being used in many, many, many songs, um, including, of all things, the song that Muse sung for the 2012 London Olympics. Like, it's just, it's used everywhere oh, wow. and in so many contexts, this this melody. So I would I would encourage people to, to look into that because we can't really talk about it too much here. But it, it is a beautiful melody. It's a beautiful sound. Probably not the best thing to do in a film that's already overloaded with temp love, but, but, but it is a genuinely nice thing. The, the thing that I most want to just flag with this song is I love that it's like... It's the it's a low woman's voice song. It's it's a woman singing in that low husky kind of a voice, which is sort of well established, particularly in for songwriters, but also for actors as being when when a woman's voice gets really low, there's a there's a sexiness to it. It's the it's that classic Mae West sexy voice, and that is a voice that Kate Blanchett is using all the way through the film. So I love the fact that you've got this song which really ties to Kate so closely it almost it almost feels like kate could be singing it and you you can also almost feel that like kate kate's character carol (laughs) um may well actually be obsessed with this song to the point that she's almost like adopting that as part of her like that's my sexy voice persona like i can feel a connection of the character with the song so for me i i really like that as a touch that's one of my notes actually it was the the depth of her, her voice. It's just, it's a beautiful piece of music. But I did my research too. And like, looking back at what like, what you were saying, Tristan, about how, um, you know, it's been used in a lot of different things. And it's it's actually a very popular song to be used. It seems quite a, you know, is it poignant enough to reference as a piece of music for the movie? And I think that's the thing that threw me off about it. It was like, it's a great, it's a great song, and it's a great, you know, piece of piece of music. But I don't think it was good enough to represent the movie. 
So you think it may be like it's not sort of iconic or original enough to really tie into Yeah. That has to be this film. It's like it's like if the movie had a soundtrack of songs, not a, you know, what's it called? Pieces of music to complement it, then this 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 is would be one of the songs that is great for it. But when you're trying to encapsulate a movie, I think what Rufus Wainwright d- did is completely it's much better but um it doesn't summarize the whole mm, film to its best capabilities comparatively comparatively yeah but i still love it i love i love you know i love i love a good oldie an oldie but a goodie so what you're basically saying is that you prefer that rufus's song kind of summarizes the whole film well i grew up in um you know when i i grew up in the 90s early 2000s and back in the day like a song from a soundtrack meant so much. I know it sounds really simple, but something like "My Heart Will Go On" for Titanic, like it's symbolic to that to that movie. Or like even when you say "Nothing at All" by Ronan Keaton for the movie Notting Hill, like it's like these songs were like made specifically for the movie. Yep. So when you're gonna pick a song for your movie, wouldn't you want it to be you know very like oh I get it. You know, and I think with Brokeback and Rufus Wainwright, it was like those two were like made for each other. So winners. Obviously Rufus Wainwright. Mr. Wainwright, please. Me? Rufio. Rufio. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So let's move on to round five, which is Legacy. So obviously in terms of legacy for this film, we can safely say that um, Brokeback Mountain won the Oscar for the original score. Um, I, you know, it, the controversy during the Oscars was the fact that it didn't win Best Picture. Do you think it deserved the Oscar for original score in comparison to the other contenders, which was like The Constant Gardener, Pride and Prejudice, Memoirs of a Geisha and Munich, both soundtracks, I'm sorry, both composers were John Williams, which I was just like, how does that happen? I'm happy with all of the nominations for that year, and I'm I'm happy that that Gustavo won. To be honest, I think it was probably the stronger yeah. and most powerful score of that of that year. It's probably one of the better scores out of the pack that paints a sonic portrait of the richness of the landscape. You know, it illustrates the depth of the two characters and their relationship. You know, and their challenges between each other, and you know, it also kind of includes and taps into the musicality of where the setting is set you know having that sort of western quality um sort of midwest cowboy feel to it i really agree with that actually i think that like obviously american cinema has a very substantial oeuvre of like of western music and this is an extraordinary score in that it adds a whole new angle to that genre just by itself to start with and that that's it's not usual that a film score you can you can talk about in those sorts of terms that it is playing in the same sandpit that we've been in thousands of times before but it's actually adding something new definitely i think it's very ahead of its pack and it's very different to all the other movies i think the reason why it won was because it was fresh it was fresh yeah and the i think the music when a score is as beautiful as what they did, informs the audience 
without having to see something. There was so many beautiful moments that if you just listen to them by yourself without any visuals, it really transports you somewhere else. But I don't know. I don't know if it plays in the relationship of the queer community. I think the movie does. I don't know if maybe the score does because the score is quite um, cowboy-esque, obviously. But um, I think as a whole, the feature definitely is very important to the queer community. Um, The fact that something attached to the feature, like the score, has won an Oscar, had a lot of levity and a lot of, not levity, a lot of weight. Um, mm. So that means something. I don't know if the music itself meant something. But if it kind of transcends yeah, further yeah, yeah. afterwards. I think I think I meant it in the sense of like, when you hear the piece of music, it just, it just you can just imagine the beauty of it all. Um, not necessarily just about the queerness, just just the beauty of it. Uh, and the, like you said, the landscape that it created within what you're listening to, which is something incredible. And just to kind of add to the composer, Gustavo, he actually even, he's more recognized than Carter in the fact that he won another Oscar in 2007 for Babel. Hmm, he did. And so, I mean, Carter Bowell, he's done more films, but has been recognized less. And it's he's very been well known for his Coen brother collaborations. And 16 films. I know, right? 16 films. You'd think they'd be With sick Coen of each brothers. other by now. It's amazing. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a long-term relationship. There, you know, it's like a marriage. Yeah. And almost all of it is, and almost all of those are very significant films too. Because Coens, I mean, when they make a film, you know about it. So he Carter Bowell's music has been described as this: his style can be can, his style can best be described as quietly unobtrusive yet supportive in all the right places. If you're looking for a composer to enhance your film without attempting to dominate the story or any particular scene, then Burwell is your man. I, mm. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. No. There's some damp praise there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah I wouldn't call that a, a praise. Uh, which is, I, but it's a good summary of his music and where he, why he hasn't really lifted and been recognized in the industry as such considering he's done a huge body of work because there isn't anything that's very significant no, he it's, hasn't made his mark no yeah he can work but he hasn't made his mark he's a little bit too still in the background like he doesn't really push himself as much like maybe he's just he's too safe would you agree or disagree i agree i mean he's got I, I talk about him as a very underrated composer because he's done a lot of work on some very good movies and every now and then the Coen brothers do a film like True Grit which has a very cool musical style to it and Carter can deliver when he has to. But what you don't have is you don't have a sense of who Carter Burwell is. He's not someone like a Danny Elfman where you can listen to a score and be like, oh, that's one of their scores. Yeah. Um, so I think there is certainly a bit of a chicken and an egg problem there of a director who gets Carter Burwell is presumably getting him because he's great to work with and he's able to execute your vision. But there's not a sense of I'm getting Carter Burwell because I want this. No like identity. if you get John Williams to do your movie, you have made a statement that you, you want 
the master to come in and deliver one of his big orchestral scores. If you get Danny Elfman in to do your movie, you are wanting zany. You know, like there is a signal of intent when you hire those guys. And that's probably not quite there with Carter Bowell yet. You just want someone who can do what you want uh, and do it very well, which he, he does. He just but, completes the brief and that's it. Yeah, kind of. He's a, he's a professional. Whereas by contrast, like Ruf, um, Rufus, um, Gustavo, when he walked into to work with um, Ang Lee and stuff. He brought his, like you mentioned that earlier, his little... Or Rocantonto or something, that sort of interesting. Yeah, it's like a, it's of... almost like a mandolini type guitar string. Yeah, or like a large ukulele. Yeah. Like he brought that in and he played that for, for Ang Lee and he got the job. Like that is, that is a conversation where you're picking someone for their sound and their sensitivity to that particular content. It's, it's, a di- it's just a different conversation. So winners, well, who's who's your winner, Mahatma, for legacy? Mr. Gustavo, I like him. He won two Oscars. He's my man. <laughs> right, he knows what he's doing, and yeah, he's doing he it does. well. Ella, yeah, yeah, I mean Gustavo. I'm gonna go with um, Brokeback Mountain as well. It's just it's the obvious choice. Yeah, it's it is. It has such a consistent style. I I think if you just randomly put on bits of Carol. Um, in the car, whatever, you wouldn't quite know what film you're listening to. I mean, you probably think you're listening to Philip Glass or Midnight Sonata, frankly. <laughs> Whereas there is there is just something about that Brokeback Mountain score where it just it just feels like you're standing on a mountain looking out into the wilderness, contemplating your existence. Yeah, it's definitely a signature sound. That's a fantastically better way of putting it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Sh- I'm assuming the winner is pretty obvious. I, I thought we were going to get some complicated maths here because we had three people being split across the rounds, <laughs> but we've literally, like, in every single round, we have all gone one way or another and broke back one four out of five. So, yeah, so. broke back. Boom, there it is. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Well, I just want to say a massive thank you so much for Mahatma Kandi for being our, our guest today. I hope you enjoyed your experience. Yes. Like you've given such amazing, insightful like comments. Like really, I really enjoyed. Like you, you swayed me as well a few times. So <laughs> kudos. Oh my God, you brought it today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I'm glad I got to speak about these two beautiful movies. We would definitely would love to have you back again. Oh, gladly. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but I would invite anyone at home out there listening, please write in. What do, what do you think of these two films? I mean, we've we've gone pretty firmly one way, but I can definitely see reasons why you might feel that Carol is a stronger film. It definitely has its strengths. Philip Glass is a great composer, after all. Uh, let let us know through all of the usual channels. Talk to us on um, Facebook, Instagram. We're usually at Tristella Music. And most of all, the biggest thing you can possibly do is either give us a review or failing that, Next, next best thing to a review is just share us with your friends. Mm. And I think actually the best way to do that is every month, Ella and I actually put up a post on our Facebook and Instagram accounts that advertises that month's show. So maybe just go and find out one from this month or if there was a particular episode a few weeks back that you really enjoyed, maybe find that one. And just share that on your page and say, hey guys, I've really been loving this show. And just, just get the word out there because it, it really makes such a difference to us to know that we're reaching more people. And who knows, maybe one day we might actually have enough that we can get some advertising and make some money out of this. That would be phenomenal for all of the work we, we put in for this. So thank you in advance for that. Now, what are we doing next month, Ella? So next month, I've been waiting and waiting to do this episode since 
I saw this film last October, or whenever it was released. Um, but I'm happy to say that we're going to be talking about, and I do apologize, I am only going to say her first name because I cannot pronounce her surname. Oh, I, come I, on. To be honest, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I, I'm just going to go with it, okay? Um, Joker by Hilda. Hilda Gunnadottir. What? Hilda Gunnadottir. Gunnadottir. <laughs> um, versus... That nearly went so Russian there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so we're doing So Joker by Hilda versus um, the film that was... The freshly the, minted Oscar winner, Hilda Gunnadottir. Yeah. Um, versus the film that was inspired by, which is Taxi Driver by Bernard Herrmann. Yes, the last... The last ever film score by Bernard Herrmann. Yeah, before he died. So, mm. Yeah, this is a remarkable uh, set of films to put against each other. This, I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, talking about Hilda, and what a year for Hilda, I right? Know, I right? mean, between Chernobyl and, and The Joker, insane. Well-deserved, yeah, I have so to say. Well-deserved. Um, but, yeah, we're putting her up against one of the greats. So this, this, could, be, this could be feisty. I know. Well, stay tuned for next month. Until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. Most of my life I've almost been a winner I've come so close But never really won Just when I thought I finally made it I found myself back where I started from I hate to say I've given up but I believe Losing's just become a way of life for me Losing wouldn't be so bad at all But I'm always on a mountain When I fall Then you came along had me, had me believing For once in my life My luck had finally changed